Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free. Thank you for these lessons, Father, and thank you for showing us your love by means of your grace and your faithfulness to us. Really, all we want to do is love you, fall in love with your Son. Even though we are faithless at times, you remain faithful. Thank you. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work, our Lord and Savior's work on the cross 2,000 years ago to cancel out that debt, make even an evening like this evening a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, we're still part 50. I cannot believe it. Part 50 of the gospel, salvation, and sanctification. Fantastic principles that uh, have been set before us. We are still in transition mode, I think. I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I think we're probably done tonight with the prosperity stuff. We'll see. Um, but he's obviously had a lot to say about it. I think it's obvious. Uh, if you've been here, if you've been following along, why? I mean, the country we grew, we most of us grew up in um, and continue to live in just promotes a different scale of values. It's that simple. It just holds a different bag of weights to put on that perverse scale of values. And it's very difficult to be um, extracted from that system of thinking when it pervades every aspect of our lives. And that's what he's been doing. So it's been really good work. Uh, hopefully you've been remaining humble. It's always difficult um, to go that deep into our own lives and realize certain things when we look in the mirror. And I'll say it now, as I've said it a thousand times from the pulpit, just remember that, I don't know, the vast majority of things that you're all going through has gone through this vessel and I go through. So it's not like I'm speaking down to anyone. Um, so you should remember that. Uh, just remember that when the force is heavy on us and when the force is heavy from the pulpit. It's not me, it's the Spirit. So with that said, uh, we are still under this parent working framework and we cannot lose sight of the forest through the trees. This is what it's looked like for some time now. Two perspectives, essentially, salvation, sanctification. That's the, the last two parts of the gospel, salvation and sanctification. We've gone through the salvation perspectives in great detail. Uh, we've alluded back to that as sort of um, proof points as we move forward into this perspective, which is sanctification. We know that from God's perspective, if you're saved, you will be sanctified. That's Philippians 1.6. He's really etched that into our souls. Um, and so they're both realities from God's perspective. But we, as we study it out, excuse me, and as we live it out, we look at salvation in tenses, past, present, future, and we look at sanctification in phases. Um, uh, both of those uh, positionally, experientially, and ultimately. So we've been on this topic before we've gotten really any further on sanctification, he sort of stopped us and said, we need to talk about predestination. And we did um, a fair amount of work on suffering. So we know that by grace you were predestined to suffer for Christ's sake. But we were also predestined by grace to prosper for Christ's sake. And the caveat has been, uh, and it's a function, I believe, of growing up in this country and just being inundated with this system of thinking. Um, the caveat has been that if we think about prosperity, we must think about prosperity, I'll use this term, with plenary scripture. Plenary means the whole of it, all of it, uh, which percolates up to a big picture. What did, with the big picture being what? Christ's mind. What did Christ have to say about prosperity? And if he was standing here right now and was going to teach this lesson, what would he say about prosperity? And he would 
what would he say specifically regarding the purpose of prosperity in our lives? So we can't just stop. We have to really do what the Spirit's been saying, which is take it very personal. This is an individual thing that he's working out more than it is a congregational thing. Uh, we have that example from Scripture that we're going to review quickly this evening about the nuances of gathering together in a family like this where some have more prosperity than others and there are some uh, pitfalls that can happen. But for the most part, this is a very personal thing. So take this very personal. Will you be passing the test? If you have any form of prosperity, will you be passing the test? Prosperity testing poses an immediate, unavoidable, almost in-your-face type situation for us. In other words, by definition, if we can rightly say that we are prosperous in any way, we must consider why He has ordained it and what we are to do with this reality. If we consider ourselves, by this point, everybody should be going, yes, we're prosperous. Why? Why did he put you in this position? And then what does he want you to do from within this condition in which you've been called? Stated differently in keeping with Jesus' language in the parable of the ten miners on prosperity testing, how will you, quote, do business with God's grace? Will you keep the miners for yourself as if you've earned them? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says... What do you think? You haven't received? Why are you boasting about things as if you've not received them? That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Or will you regard one another as more important than yourselves? Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Unfortunately, a person steeped in creature credit struggles with doing business in God's economy because the basis of doing so is based on faith in his currency which they lack. Let me say that again. A person steeped in creature credit struggles with doing business in God's economy because the basis of doing so is based on faith in his currency, grace. In other words, is grace sufficient? You know Paul's famous line, Jesus said, I remember Jesus said his grace is sufficient for me. Well, that's a faith issue. It takes faith to give sometimes. It takes faith not to collect for oneself sometimes. It takes a certain amount of faith. But what's the faith? And the faith is in His grace that in giving, that in fulfilling the purpose of your prosperity, that in giving you'll receive a greater grace, as James would say. So it's a faith issue. Do you trust and do you have faith in his currency, which is grace? Remember, grace orientation seeks the best in and for others. Grace orientation seeks the best in and for others. Not more and more ways of comparing favorably with others. You see, that's the trap, folks. And it's a good observation to make about oneself up here on the board do the blessings you believe you have make you feel good about yourself or God? Do the blessings you believe you have make you feel good about yourself or God? Do they glorify you and your labors to receive them? Or do they glorify God? That's a fair pair of questions to ask ourselves because that gets to the the nuts and bolts of the situation. It gets down to our motivation even. Why do we work so hard when there's scripture that says work is unto the Lord? Why do we work so hard and receive a certain type of prosperity and then not give it away or not share it or not fulfill or not complete the plan which prosperity has? Prosperity has a purpose. We've discovered this in scripture. So again, do the blessings you receive, you, uh, the, you believe you have received, make you feel good about yourself or God? Do they glorify you and your labors to receive them, or do they glorify God? 
This is that very fine line that I've taught in the past as the distinction between first and second order blessings, which simply refers to the fact that it's not the so-called blessings specifically. It's what we think of them. Why do we get blessed out? Why would we receive prosperity when someone else doesn't? Well, then God must have a purpose for us with that prosperity. And that's where we have to sort of think that way. It's not the so-called blessings specifically. It's what we think of them. For example, a person functioning in Satan's economy receives blessings as building up self in the world, becoming wealthier and more prosperous with respect to creature credit. The only sustainable way to live in that reality is to also stake a claim to it. For that's how creature credit works. The credit goes to the creature. This is why we have scripture to guide us away from such thinking. Up here on the board in the message, there's that verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who do you know that really knows you, knows your heart? And even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? Really, what's the point? Besides Paul, we've been getting a lot of wisdom from Solomon also. Go to Ecclesiastes 2. 26, Ecclesiastes 2.26. Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? Well, that's a reference to creature credit. Because that's what creature credit does. It takes everything. God, you know, God, God's grace always has a purpose. That's another underlying principle that keeps coming back. In creature credit, the flesh always takes the wonderful, pure things of God, given by grace, and perverts them, turns them around, and makes them about self. That's the perversion. That's the test, in other words. He gives us a test to pass, and we fail it. He graces us out. We look in the mirror and say, ain't I wonderful? He graces us out. We compare ourselves to others. We're always trying to elevate ourselves above others. That's creature credit. That's the flesh. And he's really saying that's not the purpose at all. That's not why I would bless you out. Sure, I love you. But <laughs> you being blessed out with wealth or prosperity pales in comparison to the things that I really have in store for you if you just do business with my grace. If you fulfill the purpose of that prosperity in the first place. If you fulfill the purpose of my giving you grace in the first place, I have way better things in store for you. Things that no one can ever take away. Things that moth and rust can never destroy. These are the themes in the Bible. I think a lot of people have it wrong. I, think, I know they do. A lot of people have it wrong. They think that God blesses them out with wealth because he loves them and that's where he wants them to stay in that position and gather unto themselves. That's what they, they, they've perverted the purpose of grace. When Jesus Christ himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The whole function is that you're a conduit. Ecclesiastes 2.26, For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. And we noted up here on the board, we noted two distinctions there, wisdom and knowledge and joy. Who does God give these most precious divine prosperity gifts to? The answer to a person who is good in his sight. But the task of gathering and collecting, who does God curse with the pain of losing worldly prosperity? The answer to the habitual sinner. The one who places their trust in the world's definition of prosperity. See, it's the funniest thing, right? It can be the same thing. 
can be the same thing. And one person sees it rightly and is blessed because they see the purpose in it from God. And another person sees it as from the self-life, from creature credit perspective, and they figure they're moving up a few notches because they have something. Same thing, though, isn't it? So that's the difference, first and second order things. It's not the thing. This could be anything in anyone's life. It's what we think of the so-called blessings. It's what we think of God's grace in our lives. The one that's gathering to themselves, they're really fundamentally, simultaneously gathering a curse unto themselves. Because the gathering is unholy. The gathering is being done with wrong motivation. And that's going to bite them in the end. And there's not going to be any happiness. There's not going to be that wisdom, knowledge, and joy. It's going to be bondage. What could be more fruitless and defeating than gathering stuff unto oneself for a variety of lustful reasons only to have God handed over to someone else? We're not going to take anything with us, so... The ultimate conclusion for the habitual sinner is the realization that there's no real value in living for self. So which person are you? You know that he's going to... Look, we're on salvation sanctification guaranteed, right? You know that eventually, if you're sitting here this evening and you really are a believer, eventually you are going to get smacked with this thing. It's just a matter of time. You're going you're gonna to reap. God's not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. So if you've been in, I'm like, you know, la, 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 I don't like this message. I'm going to ignore the pastor guy. Then I'm telling you, the Bible says eventually it's, you're going to have a sort of come to Jesus with this fact, with your issue with prosperity, and it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And don't play games, contrary to James 4.17, especially now that the Spirit's illuminating all of this holy scripture and say one thing when you know in your heart you are the other. So which person are you? But don't lie. The Spirit is forcing our hand here. In order to possess true wisdom regarding prosperity, you must, it's not an option, this is why I say plenary scripture, you must first reconcile your life with the likes of. And this is just a snapshot. I mean, the, look, this is nothing. If, if you read the entire New Testament, these are just sort of like little highlight snippets from the heart of Christ on the topic of prosperity. Ecclesiastes 2 and 5, Acts 20, 35, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Philippians 2, 3 to 4 and especially 1 Corinthians 2.16, which is the mind of Christ. It is a good thing for you to look at the, the, the life of Christ. How did Christ live? Honestly, how did Christ live? Think about it. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, really, no one was that I know of was smarter than him. I mean, you've got to remember, he still could tap his deity. Just saying. No one was smarter, no one was wiser, no one was kinder, no one was better. If he wanted to crush it in whatever industry he lived in, he could have crushed it, could he not have? He would have been the most phenomenal anything, right? But he didn't. He took the grace he was given from his father and ministered and gave up every last drop of who he was for everyone else. Think about that. That's our prototype. Here's another way to convince yourselves of what the Spirit's trying to convey to you. <clears throat> Challenge yourselves right now to see if the, quote, mind of Christ, the very heart of Christ, as revealed in Scripture, not what you think of Christ, what does it say in Scripture? So like I said on Tuesday, this is a technical challenge. You literally have the ability right before you to go seek it out for yourself and see what you find. The very heart of Christ as revealed in Scripture. See if it has anything whatsoever to do with you gathering and collecting unto yourself. 
Look for the purpose. This is our highlight. Look for the purpose of prosperity in the Bible. What is it really? What's the purpose of prosperity in the Bible? Be honest. There's always a purpose to grace. That's borrowed from some previous lessons. What's the purpose of prosperity in the Bible? See if you can find where any of the godly promote worldly prosperity in the absence. Remember, you can still have times in your life where you have an abundance. But what is that for? Why did God bless you out with an abundance of stuff? Because he loves you more than the person in the tribe in Zimbabwe or wherever. I don't mean to insult anyone, but someone that's from maybe a third world country. See if you can find where any of the godly promote worldly prosperity in the absence of the purpose of using it to serve others and just be prepared to be exhausted because you won't find it. When does the context in the Bible ever allow for true blessing, first order, for true blessing to be possessed by the person functioning in Satan's economy? You won't find it. Hmm. So once you have the big picture that the Spirit's been giving us since the start of this series, certain realities about prosperity will be crystal clear. We may not like them. We may reject them at first. We may say, well, what does this mean for me? Seriously, what does this mean? I mean, what am I supposed to do here? Well, that's between you and the Lord. But these are the facts in the Bible. So certain realities about prosperity will be crystal clear. And you may realize that intellectually, spiritually, and functionally, You've been standing on the wrong side of the fence your whole life. You may realize intellectually, spiritually, and functionally that you've been standing on the wrong side of the fence your whole life. To state it plainly, what you will find in the Bible is this summary. And this isn't a perfect representation, but I'm trying to stay in keeping with the language from this evening's lessons in this last week's lesson. The purpose of prosperity in the Bible, the purpose, God gives grace to glorify himself. That's the baseline. Why does he give grace at all? To glorify himself. The past test. The giver. Man, quote, does business, to borrow from Luke 19, with his grace by living for others. Solomon says that's the person who's good in his sight. Ecclesiastes 2.26. They get knowledge, joy, etc. The failed test is what we might call the keeper. Man does business for self by living for self. Solomon calls that the habitual sinner. Same verse. But the baseline principle is that God gives grace to glorify himself. And then you have to consider... Am I a giver or a keeper? And it's not, don't, look, I don't like doing bucket categories like, you know, one day you're this person and magically you become spiritually mature and you're this person. That's garbage. You might be passing the test in some areas of your life and failing miserably in others. And then the next person, doesn't matter. That's between you and the Lord. But in some ways we're all givers and in some ways we're all, we're all keepers. And that's what he's trying to pull out of you. Well, in what areas of your life are you failing the test? Because to that degree, you're still in bondage. To that degree, you don't have his very best. That's what he's saying to you. And just as a side note, after I typed this up, I said, could I, seriously, could I possibly teach a less popular lesson than this one? Could I, seriously, imagine me on national television right now. Move over, Mr. Osteen. I'm going to talk to your 50,000-person gathering here. I'm going to teach this lesson. I'd probably get, what, 
caned off the stage? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, this is, a, this is an unpopular lesson by most accounts. I'm speaking to a group of Americans, a bunch of spoiled brats, no offense. But it's true. So this is not popular, is it? We come from a land where pulpits promote the prosperity gospel. Using things out of context, like, oh, well, even Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. You jackass. That was out of context. That's not so you could justify watching that person be that way. He was saying, in the book of priorities, I'm here right now. Don't worry about them. They'll be there tomorrow when I'm not. Let's talk context then. Don't use that garbage to justify you being a self-absorbed jackass, a keeper. I've heard that from pulpits. So this is the point, folks. It's undeniable. If you're humble, you realize that a lot of the scripture even that you took out of context, that was presented to you out of context to tickle your ears so you would fill a basket up and and promote certain ministries a certain way, you figure out that those things were wrong in your soul. You realize that someone actually lied to you, possibly on purpose, possibly not. not. I don't care about people. I care about truth. But if you read your Bible and you read for context, you'll see all those little tricks that people use to justify prosperity in their lives, to justify remaining being a keeper. They're all garbage. They're all out of context. Oh, well, David, I didn't realize you were a king from the Old Testament. Solomon, I didn't realize you were a king from the Old Testament. I didn't realize that. I thought we were in the New Testament. I thought we were in the age of grace. I thought the law of love was supposed to be imprinted on our hearts. I thought that was the thing that we were after. Don't do that thing to yourself. Let me give you some scripture to amplify the point on the board. And this is the amplified, no pun intended. Second, oh gosh, you guys are somber tonight. See, I told you these are not popular lessons. People, I don't think you're funny at all right now. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9.8, Amplified. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you, so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in Him. And have an abundance, there it is, for purpose. For every good work and act of what? Charity. Charity. Verse 9. As it is written and forever remains written, he, the benevolent and generous person scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. You want to talk about eternally weighted things? You want to talk about God's scale of values? God's bag of weights, there you go. He, the benevolent and generous person, scattered abroad. That means took whatever abundance, understood the purpose of it for every good work and charity, and scattered it and gave to the poor. And His righteousness endures forever. His, capital H, he gets glorified. Why does he give grace to any of us as vessels so that he gets glorified? Do you see any keeping? Do you see any that filling up the barn? And No. That's the whole point. Verse 10. Now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing, that is, your resources, and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which shows itself in active goodness kindness, and love. It shows itself how? In word? No. Indeed. That's what? 1 John 3, 18, I think. Not just in word, but in deed and truth. 
Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered through us is producing thanksgiving to God from those who benefit. Look, stop being myopic, stop being self or egocentric for a moment. And remember the times when someone did something godly for you. Remember the time when you need, it doesn't have to be money, just anything. Someone took their time to help you out. Remember those times. And remember when you said, thanks, Lord, for blessing me out. Well, where did the blessing come? It came through a vessel. It came through a vessel. Another person who actually understood what true charity is. They had an abundance in some area of their life, and so they gave of it. Could be time, could be talent, could be treasure. Whatever it is, they gave from that cup of grace. Remember, parasuo, it overflows into the cups of others. So there's a reality, there's a dynamic to the spiritual life that includes not just you receiving from others and going, thanks God, I get to more for myself, but you go on the other side and say, wait a minute, for this thing to flow, I have to give to somebody else so that they could say that when I'm on the other side, giving to them. And they thank God for grace. That's how it goes. That's, I like to call it the dynamic spiritual life because it flows. It's an economy. That's why I like the word economy because economies, what happens when, when everybody, if everybody stopped spending their money in an economy like ours, the economy would go, Oop! it don't work. That's why I like the word economy because it's supposed to move. As soon as people start hoarding, the economy breaks. So let me give you one other translation that might help drive this home for you. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 9, 8 to 11 in the message. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving, Ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the, former, to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Do you see that I'm giving you a lot of Scripture? Holy Scripture, to be precise. That's because I don't want you to think that I am personally somehow concocting an assault on your person. I have my own problems. This is Scripture. If you want to fight an arm wrestle with God over Scripture, that's between, I'm going to tell you right now, it's stupid, it's folly. But it's Holy Scripture. And I don't want you to think it's me. So for the humble out there, it's conviction you're sensing, and I just encourage you to stick with it. For the arrogant, well, you have bigger problems. The point is simple as it relates to our former principle. You, you stole in Ecclesiastes 2.26? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner... He has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. The point up here on the board just to drive it home. The key word here is purpose. It's the same key word that came out on Tuesday. The key word is purpose. There is a reason why we prosper. There's a, there's a reason why all our needs will be met sufficiently, and then sometimes there's an abundance. Well, then you have to ask yourself, well, how did your needs get met in the first place? Because you're like a, you're in a string of events, right? So the purpose, God gives grace to glorify himself. The past test is the giver type. Man does business with his grace by living for others. It's good in his sight. 
The failed test, a keeper man does business for self by living for self. That's a habitual sinner. In the New Testament, especially, we are confronted with the undeniable truth regarding prosperity. But I believe it's something that each of you must arrive at on your own time, in your own timing with God. I think if you read the New Testament from, quote, cover to cover, and you have the concept of prosperity at the forefront of your mind, you're, gonna, you're going to see exactly what it has to say. And it may not jive with what your own life, function, functionally, intellectually, spiritually. It may not. It may be orthogonal to your own life. You may say, oh, my goodness. So be it. Whatever. What do you think? That's the first time that's going to happen? Is it the first time it's ever happened when you're like, ah, oh, I just realized I'm a sinner? Seriously? I just realized I'm a jackass. Really? You should have come to me earlier. I would have told you. (laughs) I mean, come on. So you can't, you know, don't be beside yourself either because that's a stumbling block. The, The idea is that, you know, you just, it's like Rocky, right? You just keep getting back up. You know? Let me put it this way. You were born a keeper. You were born a keeper. You were born related to creature credit. That's what the flesh understands. It's what it thrives on. You were born that way. But even as believers, I can't force you from changing from a keeper to a giver. That's not my job. My job is simply to lead you to the Scripture that will convict you of these things. The Word is much more convicting and convincing than I could ever be. Go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12, for some of you, more than others even, because this is one specific area of the spiritual life, this stuff cuts to the very essence of who you are. It undermines your own self-esteem. So be it. Tomorrow it's someone else's turn. But here's what the Word can do. And this is what it's designed to do. It really is designed to get all the way down. For the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. It means there's no stone left unturned. You can always... I'm an imperfect deliverer. I'm an imperfect teacher. I'm just a man. You can always throw stones at me, find something that I said wrong or said out of order or something. You know what I mean. But you can't with the Word. The Word's perfect, and it's undeniable. And if you're humble and you approach the throne of grace with humility, it's going to go like this. And you're going to be laid bare. And you're either going to get up and run like Hebrews 10.35 says and shrink away, or you're going to stay with it. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing is left untold, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Yeah, I can't do that. Again, the Word is much more capable of convicting all of you of the truth about yourselves than I could ever be. But if you're going to agree with all of this, then at least have the integrity to read Scripture in context. Enough with the silliness. Enough with the false teaching and the the, the doctrines that tickle your ears. Enough with that garbage. Read the Bible for yourself and see if your goals line up with the purpose that God has for each one of us. Look at the New Testament. See if your life, the things that you're striving for, even right now, the things that possibly you came to church exhausted from this evening, see if those things align with the Word of God. Let it go right down and divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow.
Let it divide all of that and lay bare. But have integrity when it happens. And don't have any preconceptions or fear of it. Have a healthy fear, a respect. That is my sincere encouragement to you. Prosperity always has context. The prosperity and abundance that Paul speaks of in, say, Philippians 4.12 must be understood in context. Paul is not implying he ever strove for abundance. Rather, when he did possess it, the same man would give it away as a way of gracing others out. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 to 15, 9, 5 to 15. Philippians 4, 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He's not trying to force the issue of, see, I've had prosperity, see? It's, it's, no, he, that's not even his argument. His argument is, look, it doesn't matter if, you're, if your heart and soul is divorced from the details of life. That sounds familiar, right? No active duty soldier entangles himself in the details of life. If you're literally divorced from those concerns, this is what he's saying. It doesn't matter then. That's his argument. That's the context of the argument. Speaking of plenary scripture, go to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. So for some of you younger people or even middle-aged people, it's never too late. It's never too... Now's the time, I guess, is what... You know, you can't change yesterday, right? It's from now on. I mean, it's from now on. If you had never seen this before, you've never been convicted, maybe you weren't ready or maybe you were still being... uh, childish or sophomoric about it. Maybe you just had, were too full of yourself. I don't know. But now you know. Unless you're still being arrogant, which is another story. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Now I say this, now or this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, See, if you have this thing and you go, you know, like the little kid, okay, here, take it. You kind of missed out. Right? It doesn't matter if this thing transferred to someone else's possession. The motivation was wrong. You know, do I really need to say it? Right? Here's where we come upon that passage that I just gave you in the Amplified in Message. Let's read it in the New American. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So your abundance has a purpose. That's undeniable. As it is written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Remember, this was about a collection that had been taken, and they were giving it away. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I mean, doesn't it? And that just puts everything in perspective. Here we are hemming and hawing about giving what? Something that we received in the first place? And then with the backdrop of that, I mean, how do we, how do we complain about ever giving anything? I mean, it's a wonder. I have moments in time. It's a wonder. I say to myself, what the heck, man? Even the life that I live, as much as it's ratcheted down to the way it used to be, geez, am I still like out of the ballpark? Maybe. It, with, with that in view? I don't know. I'm a work in progress, too. Wisdom. The more spiritually mature you are, the more likely you are to do business for Christ, not just in word, but in deed. 1 John 3.18, this implies grace, 
which means giving. For that is the greater blessing after all. Acts 20.35, the less mature don't understand this. Rather, they are stuck living for self in the world's economy with a pocket full of creature credit. That's the currency. John said in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So a lot of people say, I love you. Do you? Where were you when I needed it? You know, a lot of lip service in this world. On Tuesday, the Spirit turned our attention to a very practical issue in the churches, something that persists from the early church even. Uh, go to 1 Timothy 2.9. I'm going to go quickly through this. This was a practical issue. Not a whole lot unlike what Paul just said. Don't just say you love someone in word, but do it in deed and truth. Don't be a hypocrite, in other words. Don't say all the right things and, you know, la, la, la. Use the right language and the right vocabulary and sound all hoity-toity and even quote some scripture. But then when push comes to shove, you're nowhere to be found. So, 1 Timothy 2.9, there are lots of practical examples. This is one that Paul, I should say the Spirit, found worthy to capture a good portion of Scripture. A good amount of real estate in the Bible. The Bible's very precious. Real estate in the Bible, it ain't like, you know, New York City. It's better. I don't know if you get the, no? It's expensive real estate. The Bible, real estate, it's precious. So you know that if it's in there with any length, that it must be, there must be a reason. And I concur, this kind of garbage happens in churches all the time. First Timothy 2.9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Up here on the board, proper clothing. Again, the context is during church worship. Modestly from idos means avoiding anything that would be or cause shame, discreetly from Safrasuna, means a woman is to be moderate in her dress. McDonald says undiscreetly, on the one hand, she will not seek to attract attention to herself by expensive, conspicuous fashions. These might tend to provoke admiration or even jealousy from those who should be worshiping God. Look, one way, either one is bad. Oh, God, they look so lovely. And I'm talking away. That's some outfit. Or, you witch, who do you think you are? Both are no good, because neither one of them pay attention to what's going on with the worship service. Amen? There you go. This is not rocket science, right? So these might tend to provoke admiration or even jealousy from those who should be worshiping God. On the other hand, she should avoid attracting attention to herself by wearing clothes that are drab. The scriptures seem to teach a moderate middle-of-the-road policy in regard to clothing. Again, verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. And there's that transitional statement, but rather, and it's undeniable, it's in the Greek, look it up, it says, but rather, hold your horses, this is what I want to be in place of that kind of garbage, the parading. Literally means instead of, which implies no coexistence of those things. In other words, worshiping women cannot propose to, quote, offset their lack of modesty and discretion by, quote, doing good. This isn't tit for tat. One supplants the other in the heart of the humble woman. Again, verse 10, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness up here on the board. Making that claim to godliness, it is proper from prepo, becoming befitting for a godly woman to do good works by dressing moderately to facilitate fellowship and be an example to others to do the same. Contrarily, a woman who doesn't do such good works has no claim to godliness. How could she? This is the Bible. What would you like me to say? That's the way it is. It's about others, folks. Why bring you to a passage like this when we're studying something like prosperity? 
Why? And this is, I believe, where, pretty much where we ended on Tuesday. Because prosperity is a multifaceted test that includes not just one's own struggle with lusting it, but also one's consideration of those without it and the possibility of making them stumble. You know, it's not all about you. The sophomore's going to say, oh, great, now i got to not dress nice. Now i got to not you know, wear my $60,000 pumps. I don't know if they make them, but you know what I mean. I'm being, I'm being completely ridiculous so that nobody in here is offended. How about that? I'm not going to take in my $500,000 purse. What was that? Where was that from? Everybody said, I don't know. I have no idea. I think it was Hermes. I think it was a Hermes purse. Four hundred and something thousand dollars. Andrew, you will not be getting that as a wedding present. Just letting you know. For them. So that they don't stumble. <laughs> Look, it's not about you being stifled. It's about others. It's about others. Step outside of your own issues and think about others. It may not even be, look, you may have the liberality to do certain things. But because of others, you don't. That's true love. You sacrifice for others. You see, the other side of the fence is, sacrifice for others, heck, I'm going to lift myself up even in the holy place of worship so that I'm the top of the food chain. I'm going to show everybody how wealthy I am for me. I'm going to take God's grace and I'm going to do business for me. No. No. Try to find scripture that supports that. That's the point. You won't find it. That's the point. Let's press on. I only have a, I can't believe it. I'm almost out of time. Some of you are like, yes. Again, verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Paul continues to describe the nature of women in the local assembly. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. The context here means during normal worship practice, such as an evening like this. Such as an evening like this. In other words, instead of, listen, instead of parading around, remember the context, instead of parading around like a prima donna, why don't you sit there and learn? Why don't you stop being a disruption to the local assembly and engage with the Spirit? think that's the pristine objective i think that's why we're all here just saying and that's what paul's saying he's like a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness verse 12 but i do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet up here on the board remember the context he's talking about the worship service itself. In other words, I can never, even if I felt like I There are some women in this congregation, listen to my voice right now, that have a lot of godly wisdom that I know if I put them behind the pulpit, they would have a lot to say, and it would be godly. But the Word of God says you cannot do that. So I don't do it. And I won't put a woman behind the pulpit to teach you. I'll let them teach in the prep school, and I'll encourage them to teach younger women but i will not put them behind the pulpit why because scripture says i cannot it doesn't even it has nothing to do with what i assess in them it doesn't have anything to do with what i discern in them as a maturity issue it has to do with scripture and this is god's business if god comes down and says listen I only want men to drive school buses. No, I'm just picking out something arbitrary, right? Then guess what? If it's in the Bible, then men, have, men can, only buy, can only drive school buses. What the heck do you want me to say? You want me to go against my master? You want me to cause an uprising? No, let's form a union, because that's, that's biblical, right? Let's form a union. 
a bus union. And we'll get some equal rights up in here, right? Look it. Is it for me? You have a job to do. A woman's teaching ministry. Biblically speaking, women are encouraged to teach children. That's scriptural. 2 Timothy 3.15 and younger women, Titus 2.4. But they are not to have a public teaching ministry, especially ones that include men. Now, there are so many violations of this nowadays in so-called Christianity that I can't even think about it without my blood boiling. But I'll let that go before I digress. And it's not a personal issue, folks. I'm not upset because I think that... I just just intimated with you. I know a lot of women that have a lot of things to say that are godly. But I know what the Bible says. And you're not supposed to be running any kind of worship service. You're not supposed to be teaching men that way. You're out of your league. You're out of your ballpark. The Spirit won't even... Look, the Spirit won't even supernaturally enable it. And at that point, all bets are off. So these, you see these women on television that have these huge ministries. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Lots of the things that I've been teaching on. Because feminism is at an all-time high. Why do you think it is? Because men are a bunch of wimps. There are a few men that stand behind pulpits that have the so-called audacity to teach what I'm teaching you right now. Afraid of what? Offending somebody? I'm not offending anybody. I'm defending Scripture. And if you have a problem with it, go to Scripture, see what it has to say to you. You see? I digressed a little bit, didn't I? Oh, man. I'm just upset, that's all. And it has nothing to do with the men-women thing. It has to do with what's right and wrong. Right? There are lots of things that men do that they shouldn't be doing. And I get upset about that as well. Why? Because it's wrong. 1 Timothy 2.12 But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. All right, let's get back out of this mind shaft, for we are still on the topic of prosperity. And this evening's thread was instigated by Solomon's wisdom on the subject. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 2.26 quick, and I'll try to find a spot to close. Ecclesiastes 2.26. You see, only a jackass takes offense. See, I get the time to digress while you're flipping. Take your time. (laughs) Only a jackass takes offense at Scripture like I just read in 1 Timothy. Only a woman with a problem, Teshuka, would have a problem with that Scripture and make it about possibly even me. Because an honest, humble person says, great, take the responsibility. God gave you that responsibility, then you step up. Ecclesiastes 2.26 For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. So to review again up here on the board, wisdom and knowledge and joy, who does God give these most precious divine prosperity gifts to? The answer, to a person who is good in his sight. The task of gathering and collecting, who does God curse with the pain of losing worldly prosperity? To the sinner. Which person are you right now, honestly, What could be more fruitless and defeating than gathering stuff unto oneself for a variety of lustful reasons only to have God handed over to someone else? And I'll close with this, and I hope you don't mind me going an extra minute. Too many believers are living a lie. We might even say it's a willful one. 
but it's true. Too many believers are living a lie. Too many have been taught a lie by their own parents even, and that lie has been fostered throughout their whole lives. Some have been Christians for a very long time, never coming to the knowledge of the truth, being whisked away by the doctrines of demons, the ones that tickle their ears, the ones that have taken them far away from the baseline principles of actually, not verbally, living for others. And these folks, many who live in the United States, have no wisdom regarding true prosperity in the mind of Christ. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of doing this thing. We ask your blessings as we take your marvelous word out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.